The status takeover is complete. Another voluntarist planet has fallen. Mars has seceded to the Confederacy of Independent Systems as the battle within our sun's solar system has been a struggle. However, a small band of Liberty fighters has still stayed true to the cause and has taken deep refuge within the vast and savage wilderness on Earth. Deep in the heart of Anarchopoco, Jeff Berwick and his Liberty fighters stay on course as they fight viciously to save his liberty and those around him. Berwick is a drug choice advocate and started the Dollar Vigilante and Anarcho-Capitalist blog, focusing on gold, silver, mining stocks, and Bitcoin. From an abandoned outpost, Jeff and his Liberty crew plot to take back the heavily fortified capital city of Anarchopoco to hold back the rising tide of status. After setting several news outlets straight, Johnny and Raylene find Ian Freeman with hopes of gaining airwaves for the Liberty Movement. Will Jeff Berwick save Anarchopoco and restore choice in people's lives? Will Johnny and Raylene make ways with Ian Freeman? Stay tuned to hear Jeff Berwick on episode 45 on Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my ray of truth, Miss Bradley Lightheart. Hello, how's it going, Johnny? Good. Crazy week. Crazy week. Yeah. It's hotter than hell in Arizona right now, and that's like May. Yeah, I know that's what you were saying. I'm jealous. It's kind of rainy here. See, so. that's the thing. But don't be jealous, because when it gets to 120 degrees, you're going to be like, eh, good on you, man. Good on you. Yeah, that's what I heard when we were down there. Yeah, it was beautiful when you were here. That's like summer in Washington. But here, hell no. Hell no. You know, I really like the weather there for the springtime. And I have to say, one of the most interesting things that I was just telling you about is that when we went to Arizona, almost all the houses are like the same color. Yeah. I I guess it's because it's so hot there that it just doesn't work to build with traditional things. They they do stucco. Is that right? Stucco. Everything's stucco. Mm -hmm. And it's it's nice. I mean, it's cool. Or it tries to be cool. But yeah, (laughs) everything looks the same. I mean, like, here's the thing. Everything looks the same out here. It's like yeah. that desert brown. It is. It's interesting. And Kim and I joke about it. We say it's Mars. It's Mars. And it is. That's really funny. If you want to live on Mars, just go to Arizona. I like that. Yeah. All right. There you go. So, Raylene, we're going to talk about something that we haven't talked about on the show ever. Like, we've talked about it. Never. We've never, never done a show like completely dedicated to this topic. And I think it's time that we do. Okay, great. Okay, so according to Cato... Private individuals and policymakers often utilize prohibition as a means of controlling the sale, manufacture, and consumption of particular goods. While the 18th Amendment, which was passed subsequently repealed in the early 20th century, is often regarded as the first major prohibition in the United States, it certainly was not the last. The war on drugs began under President Richard Nixon, and it continues to utilize policies of prohibition to achieve a variety of objectives. Proponents of drug prohibition claim that such policies reduce drug-related crime, decrease drug-related disease and overdose, and are effective means of disrupting and dismantling organized criminal enterprises. Today, we are here to talk about how the efforts to stop drugs has failed 
world, and why are we still arresting people for personal choices they make? Today, our guest is Jeff Berwick. Jeff Berwick is a Canadian entrepreneur, libertarian, and anarcho-capitalist activist. Berwick founded Stockhouse, a penny stock promotion and marketing site, which he later sold. He later was an investor in Bitcoin, appearing publicly on Fox News and other mainstream press outlets to discuss the digital currency. He has also appeared on Bloomberg to discuss Bitcoin. Jeff is also contributing editor at many of the world's largest libertarian financial and precious metal-related websites, including LewRockwell.com, The Daily Reckoning, Whiskey and Gunpowder, Kitco. Oh, man, this is an old bio. It is, <laughs> but I'm sure you got new stuff. Gold Eagle, SafeHaven.com. I don't know if I'm on any of those sites anymore. Okay, well, he was. All right, so Jeff was on all it's important that we know where you were, right? I was, yes, correct. It did happen at one time. There you have it, man. Jeff's been all over. Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot, Raylene. Are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Jeff My pleasure. Dude, it's been a while since we had you on the show. You were on the old Johnny Rocket Launchpad show, and it's it's really great to have you back. You've done some favors for me with the Liberty Force comic book radio drama. You were actually part of the bad guys. You did the voices like, stop, get those guys, we're the state. You did a good performance. It was an A-plus performance. I just got to say, man. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> So, Jeff, the reason I want to talk to you about this, and I hate to say it, but you seem to be like a subject matter expert on the war on drugs. And I figured, why don't we do a show? It'd be great to have you on here and actually talk about some of these concepts that maybe the average citizen or American may not totally comprehend. And some of the unseen consequences of the prohibition or the war on drugs. What initially stirred your interest in the war on drugs and how did your activism get started? Well, uh, I guess my, uh, interest, uh, originally came from, you know, getting arrested numerous times <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for having plants and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, but I didn't actually, uh, get, uh, you know, thrown in jail or anything like that. But you know, the cops are always around looking around for stuff. Um, but I think, you know, to start really at the beginning here, I think it's really important to understand that even the word drugs is a part of a psyop, a psychological operation. Yes. Uh, because what we're talking about here are plants. Uh, mm -hmm. Things like cannabis or uh, things like cocaina, which uh, when I go to Argentina, uh, we often uh, choose some cocaina leaves uh, after dinner. It's just a part of the culture and things like that. It's like having a coffee after dinner. Sure. Uh, and, and so what they've done is they've tried to demonize these things and try to say that uh, because if everyone just thought of them as plants, which most of them are now, what's actually happened because of the war on drugs is actually pushed people. It's actually made it more difficult to get some things. It's increased the price of some things. So some people, especially in the U.S., they're so, so poor now from all the taxes and regulations and all the stuff living in the land of the free uh, that people have started doing like really insane things like bath salts and uh, these things that you hear about and you see people yeah. on YouTube. It's like, whoa, whatever that guy just took, never take that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was thinking that there's like some sort of like 
I don't know, like bath salts seem okay to me. I mean, like, why not? I mean, oh, yeah. I've never done them, so I can't say. And I don't like to comment <laughs> on anything I've never done right. uh, for that reason. But it just seems to me like some of these things seem a little over the edge. Yeah, I agree. Uh, bath salts and stuff like that. Uh, but for that reason, actually, when I was very young, uh, like uh, around 20, I decided that I was going to try every drug, uh, every, uh, really every plant. Uh, because I, I figured just like with everything else, I knew the media and the government weren't telling us the truth about these things. And so I wanted right. to try them all and see them with my own eyes. So I have tried most of them, uh, most of the plants. Uh, I don't know if you want me to list them off, but uh, you I know mean, things you like can. cannabis, uh, uh, magic mushrooms, um, ayahuasca, boga. Uh, mm. There's so many that I've done. I've done uh, LSD at Burning Man last year. <laughs> I've done uh, MDMA. Oh yeah, ecstasy for sure. I did that quite a bit. MDMA. Um, uh, I did meth once by accident. That was a funny story and <laughs> kind of strange <laughs> yeah, story. Like, and a creepy night. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was cocaine, but it turned out to be meth. Hey, Jeff, tell us the story, because this has got to be good. What happened? Because this is going to be it is funny. A, it's an interesting kind of crazy story. It was, uh, like I said, I wanted to try every drug once. And, and so for the first time, I thought I was trying cocaine. Uh, and I said to my girlfriend at the time, this is like uh, 20 years ago, I said, let's let's try cocaine. I want to try everything once just so I know, because I, I know that we're not getting the truth about these things. So she got it from her friend, and we 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 put on the movie. I still remember we put on the movie Bats. I don't know if you remember. It was about 1999, uh, and it was just oh. one of the. It's like it's like sharks in a tornado or something. Yeah, it was like tornado. the worst yeah. horror movie of that year. And uh, I put on the DVD because we had DVDs at the time, and I put down two lines of what I thought was cocaine, and we did them, and we were like, "Whoa, this feels pretty amazing!" And the movie Bats was over in like three minutes, and I'm like, "Well, that was fast. <laughs> Let, let's play it again." And we ended up watching it like 30 times in a row. <laughs> and we did a few more lines of what I thought was Coke, which turned out to be meth. And uh, it, for people out there who don't know, Coke, you can do a couple lines and you're actually okay. Like you could totally right. function on it. You could go to like a lot of stockbrokers will do a couple and go to work. It's right. like caffeine. Meth, if you do like more than a couple lines, you're going to be up for like five days straight without sleeping. Wow. And that's what yeah. happened to us. And we were. And I had the craziest uh, hallucinations because of sleep deprivation by oh day God. three and day four that I still remember very clearly. Uh, so yeah, that, that was pretty wild. Uh, the, the, kind of a bad experience on meth, I have to say, and we, I've never done it again since. I love that. I love that you're like, look, just because you don't believe that they should be illegal or the state has control over our bodies doesn't mean that you need to be doing drugs. So I just want all the new listeners out there to, to say that just because we believe something is a right doesn't mean we believe we should do it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I could add to that by saying that uh, most of these things that I've done, I actually uh, don't really want to do much again. The only one that I've kind of really uh, enjoyed and, and just got into rec recently is cannabis. And I found that it's really been helpful when I'm meditating and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, but really, I've been doing a lot of uh, self-help work, meditation and stuff. And the best highs that I have now are without anything at all. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit of cannabis, which puts me into a relaxed state. But when I get into a meditative state and I have a clean diet and right. my body is, is working really well, people don't understand this, uh, that you can have highs naturally that you wish you could have on other drugs and there's no repercussions. Every other plant that you do, uh, especially things like cocaine and stuff like that, or mm -hmm. alcohol. Alcohol is a good example. Alcohol is a drug. It's essentially a drug. Yeah. Uh, you know how bad you feel if you drink too much alcohol for the next day, and especially if you're my age, for the next three days, you don't even want to get out of bed. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for, for, you know, for the kids out there, I have to say this, as someone who's tried everything,
thing, I would stay away from almost all of it, and I would definitely stay away from alcohol. I'd have to say alcohol is probably one of the worst ones out there in terms of uh, just negative effects of it. Right. You know, but, but, you know, it's your own life. Do whatever you want. And that's the whole point of this is there should be no government telling you what to do with your own body. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing, Jeff. Do you have any like personal experiences about the dangers of the war on drugs and the prohibition of it? I mean, I'm sure you know people who have been in bad positions because they are choosing what they put in their own body. It's all about self-ownership, right? So you own yourself. The government shouldn't dictate. And a lot of people, I think, are afraid of the actions you will do. So if I am a crackhead, I am going to start stealing from people's houses. That may be true, but you should get arrested for, you know, taking someone's life, liberty or property, but not necessarily putting some, the actual process of ingesting something in your body. You should be held accountable to the actual crime, not what you do to your own body or that personal choice. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where a lot of people get confused. And I do support some of these things because uh, they see that sometimes when people use these substances, they, they do bad things. But uh, really, there should be no one telling you what to do with your own body. And really, you know, we can do things like try to get out there and tell people, like even what I just said to the kids out there, don't do a ton of these stuff. It's much better. Stay healthy, man. And just, you know, get into meditation, get into connecting with your own body, get, work on yourself. That's so much better than a lot of this stuff. But mm-hmm. actually having a oppressive police state out there watching and making sure <laughs> that you don't do this is absolutely insane and and mm-hmm. it's it's just crazy and you just have to look back uh for many americans for example who think they live in the land of the free it's actually one of the least free countries in the world you just have to look back to the 1930s when they outlawed alcohol there was mm-hmm. alcohol prohibition in the 1930s and uh, very interestingly basically the amount of uh, alcohol that people drank went up during that period of time and what happened all of a sudden there was headless bodies in the street of chicago there was gangs everywhere because mm-hmm. once you make it illegal and you have the this large government and police organization going around making sure that people don't have this stuff, it goes underground because people are always going to do what they want to do. Exactly. Uh, and I fully support them on doing that. And and so you can't you can't force them to do things. Uh, and so when you say, okay, like just imagine right now if, if the U.S. made alcohol legal, you know, like how many people would have a major problem with that, right? I and would it's have not a like problem. Everyone would, yeah. yeah. It's not like everyone would stop drinking alcohol. People only only want laws for other people. When it comes to their laws against them, that's where it changes. But um, I think it's important to double down and say that our own government poisoned people by deliberately poisoning alcohol. So they were actually murderers the entire time. It was all, it always comes down to violence and who has the monopoly on that. So the government never had our best interest at heart. They never intended yeah, well, to keep us safe. Right. And and like I said, when uh, they, they made alcohol illegal, it actually didn't decrease the amount of alcohol that people drank at all. In fact, I think there's some stats that show up. it went up. It did. Uh, mm-hmm. You look at the uh, Kennedy family, uh, like JFK and all those people, they got rich off of rum smuggling from, I believe, like uh, from the Caribbean or something like that. But yes, uh, many of these things, and, and people like Al Capone and all these gangs, that's all because of alcohol prohibition. Yeah, exactly. And then people go, oh, why, does, why are there all these cartels and stuff and, and all these gangs in L.A. and all that kind of stuff? It's like because you have drugs still illegal. As long as you keep things illegal, people are still going to want them and people are still going to provide them right. for them, which I think is a very heroic act. I think, you know, people like drug dealers, cartel people, if all they're doing is giving people a plant that they want, they're heroes, not not bad people, uh, because they're, they're just providing people with what it's they want, market. which is all we, we Free market. Free markets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Jeff, really quick, here's like an interesting fact. Do you know why cocktails have been invented? No. 
because they were using like bathtub gin and they tasted so horrible, like the alcohol <laughs> in itself, they had to actually make cocktails. The, the whole idea of the cocktail came from the prohibition. It was a result, the unseen of the uh, prohibition or the actual scene. So alcohol had to be produced underground. So that is why they put like, you know, you have a Manhattan or an old fashioned or whatever, just to mask harshness. Booze. Absolutely. So we're talking about bootleggers getting rich and politicians getting rich. And whenever there's prohibition, it's the bad guys that are getting rich and profiting. And it's it's us, the free people who should be free, that are paying the price. So I, I want to talk about right now with the opioid crisis and, and just liken it to that. The pharmaceutical companies are getting rich. The politicians are getting rich. The private prisons are getting rich. And on top of that, just with cannabis alone, with the way the prohibition is, there are crony lobbyists out there. And uh, there's also anti-drug coalitions, like the community anti-drug coalitions. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. They, they are funding anti-marijuana legislation. And police unions are also funding it because they're profiting from it. And I just wanted you to be able to expand on that in all the different ways prohibition is making them rich, if, if you want to add anything. Oh, man, like this goes way back. People don't understand how uh, this has all been started uh, centuries ago, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, because cannabis itself is an, uh, is a miracle plant. It's a miracle tree, you could say. It's a miracle uh, subs- you know, uh, plant, essentially. And uh, back in like about 100 years ago, the Dow Chemical Company uh, realized that uh, a lot of their products would be easily uh, uh, surpassed and, and beaten uh, if cannabis was allowed to be grown by farmers. And if you actually look back far enough, people like George Washington and some of the founding fathers of the U.S. were all cannabis farmers. That's right. Uh, and and uh, so the, the, a lot of these uh, big industrial corporations, people like Rockefeller and the Dow Chemical Company, they realized that they, their stuff wouldn't uh, be as, as valuable if cannabis existed because cannabis is so much better than the plastics that they use. Uh, you can actually make cars out of cannabis. Uh, it, it, things like paper. Uh, mm-hmm. You can regrow cannabis and make paper out of it way faster than you can regrow trees and mm-hmm. deforest and things like that. Very sustainable. Very sustainable. If we had a world where cannabis was never outlawed, we would have such a much better world. Environmentalists out there should be the top people who should be against this so-called war on drugs because we have to use more oil products. We have to deforest more land because we can't uh, grow cannabis for the most part. Now, that's changing now, thankfully. Uh, but uh, this goes way back uh, to and then uh, they kind of outlawed the smoking of it because a lot of African-Americans were doing it. And it was a very racist sort of a thing. They wanted, as as many mm-hmm. African-Americans still know today, the cops generally are not their friends and you're getting really <laughs> uh, attacked a lot by the That's police. Right. Yep. Uh, and this goes way back to then. So they realized that a lot of African-Americans were smoking uh, cannabis. And so they outlawed it for that reason as well is basically a racist sort of thing to put millions of black people. People in cages uh, for uh, doing nothing and hurting nobody and actually just feeling pretty nice and wanting to eat a bag of chips and things like that. That's really all you get from from cannabis. I just want to recommend a book. Uh, This is for all the listeners. If you want to learn about the history of cannabis and the marijuana conspiracy, please Google The Emperor Wears No Clothes, Hemp and the Marijuana Conspiracy. It is absolutely a wonderful book. It's by Jack Herrer. It's amazing. I learned about so much uh, being anti-marijuana before that book, and now I use it as a medicine. I think there's like a, a real question here, though, and, and this is coming, like, I'm going to take the position of uh, soccer mom Kim over here. I'm, I'm, I don't know why I said Kim. Soccer mom Cindy, right? And, you know, <laughs> she doesn't like the idea of drugs, which is fine. She doesn't have to do them. 
But I think one of the biggest problems in getting this over or getting this legislated or actually getting drugs legalized or decriminalized completely is the idea that she's worried that there's going to be some shady character on the side of the road trying to sell her daughter or son drugs and pushing it. What can we say to them if if that situation ever comes to us who are pro-choice all the time about everything in our lives? What do we say to these people to convince them that, you know what, it might actually be better if it was in the actual, you know, convenience stores down the road or at Kmart or Walmart? How do we convince them that this isn't a bad thing? Yeah, it's, you know, it really would be so much better if it wasn't uh, criminalized. Uh, you know, so how many people really have tried cannabis? I think I've looked at stats. You know, every U.S. president has pretty much done it. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton, of course, is a, a compulsive inhale. liar. So That's he right. said he didn't inhale, <laughs> right. but, which is obviously a lie. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I think almost everyone's had access to it. And, and in fact, I, of all of them, I think cannabis is, is a, quite a good plant. Of all, all the plants that I've ever done, uh, it's, it's like really like like it relaxes you, it makes you get more introspective, it makes you think about your life, and for that reason, they also don't like it as well because uh, th- they really like pushing the alcohol, the, the government, because it, uh, alcohol kind of makes you kind of aggressive. So you see, like these, um, you go to a hockey game or something, and your team loses. There's a riot afterwards, right? That's mm-hmm. all alcohol based. If everyone was smoking cannabis, there'd be no riots. Everyone be nothing. like, "Hey, bro, let me give you a hug. I feel really sorry for you, man. Let me give you a hug, brother." Yeah, you're very, you're very peaceful. It's like, Hey, it's all good, bro. <laughs> you know, but here's the thing. You're right. Yeah. Dude, like in the military, I was in the military for 10 years, unfortunately. Sorry. But when I was in the military, it was promoted. And again, I drink like, <laughs> but it's promoted in the U.S. military. And I think you're right. It does lead to anger problems. It does lead to that. I mean, I've never, I'm a pretty happy drunk, but I think there are people out there who are <laughs> dangerous on alcohol. Alcohol's messy. Alcohol just makes you messy. It just is messy. It is. Period. The other thing it does, too, is it uh, kind of just dumbs you down, right? Like, after you've had a few drinks, you don't think deeply about politics or philosophy or anything. Right. Uh, you basically just, like, you, you watch TV or you watch the game, uh, and you become kind of like, you, you think less. Right. Uh, whereas with th- things like cannabis, when you do a couple puffs, you start thinking more. You start to think more about things. Uh, so they really want to push the ones where you think less, and it makes you kind of aggressive, and they kind of like that because it kind of gives a need for a police state uh, because there's always like a, a fight at the bar, right? Okay. Uh, so, yeah. so, I can see this. So they kind of like that. But, you know, to go I back to the question like about... I you say they like it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. They do like it. You're hey, right. Jeff, I'm right now, man. I'm drunk. <laughs> kidding. I'm joking. The biggest opponent to cannabis uh, decriminalization is the police. Uh, because they're like, well, th- but that's all we do is that we mm-hmm. we go around and we arrest uh, people on on smoking weed and stuff like that, right? Yes. So, right. Is the war on drugs to blame for more aggressive policing and unlawful searches specifically today? Yeah. So to go back to uh, soccer mom Cindy or whichever name you you pick, there, I like Cindy. Uh, it's a good name. <laughs> uh, you know, like they're going to have access to this anyway. Like, let's can we just be realistic for once? You mm-hmm. know, soccer yeah. mom, like your kids are going to know what sex is at some point. They're going to know <laughs> right. what drugs are at some point. Uh, and they're going to have access to these things. They, you know, they, they're, they're going to grow up and they're going to walk around. They're not going to always be with them. And they're going to have some strange friends. They're going to go to some strange parties sometimes. Right. So uh, 
when you have it illegal, uh, you know, look at all the overdose overdose deaths from a lot of these uh, plants and drugs, uh, things like coke and, and heroin and all these sort of things. It's because they're not uh, in any way regulated by the market. Now, I'm not saying the government should regulate it. That'd be horrible. But, you know, you're basically going to some guy's backyard or his trailer park or <laughs> right. you look at, sure. look at uh, Breaking Bad to know how a lot of these things work, right? And they're just like making this stuff in their in their basement. And you don't know what the quality is like. Uh, and you have overdoses and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and you just look at a, a country like Portugal, for example. And so this is a very nice country for anyone who hasn't been to Europe. It's one of the nicest countries in Europe. Uh, and they decriminalized all plants, all drugs in 2001. Drug use went down. Overdose uh, deaths went w- way down. Crime went way down, of course, because a lot of the crime was drug related like if they catch you with right. a drug right. uh, but but on top of that like i think a lot of crimes and you just look at even colorado so they just decriminalized marijuana a couple of years ago i've heard nothing about how everything's out of control crazy people are dying and in fact i hear the economy's way up i think i hear people are moving there i think the there's a ton of new jobs because it's created a whole new market okay uh, that sort of a thing so so if when you look at actual facts uh, you know soccer mom cindy like actual facts not just your emotions uh, when you just look and you go hey there, there's some places where they've decriminalized plants what happened it's actually been way 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 better than when they are criminalized in 2015 the federal government spent an estimated 9.2 million every day to incarcerate people with drug-related offenses Jesus. that's, that's more than 3.3 billion annually So how possible is it for the people to get things legalized, decriminalized and left alone when that kind of money is being made? Yeah, like I said, the the biggest opponents to ending the drug war are the police and the government, essentially. And Mm -hmm. I'm here in Mexico right now and uh, I've talked to cartel people. Like I said, in many ways, they're kind of heroes. They're providing products. Now, now if they're extorting or kidnapping people, that's totally bad. I don't support that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But if they're uh, all they're doing is transporting plants to people who want it. Great. So I hang out with them sometimes and and. uh, uh, very nice people and very cool. And I even talked to them a few years ago. I said, you know, a lot of these places are starting to decriminalize uh, cannabis. You guys should get ahead of this and and work with the Mexican government to get it decriminalized here too. And then uh, what I would do is try to, you know, be the first into the market and you'll probably make a lot of money. But they didn't really want to do that. They're like, we'll make way more if, it, if it's illegal. Uh, so, so the cartels, the police and the government and the gangs are the four people who don't want to see drugs legalized. Now, if that doesn't tell you something. Yeah, like, I don't know how dumbed yes. down or brainwashed yes. you are. It should be crystal clear who profits from this and who doesn't. You're right. Because if you look at the drug war from a purely economic point of view, right, the role of the government is to protect the drug cartels. They're in bed. We know this is happening. And we give them guns too. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, you know, no, the Bush and the Clintons are some of the biggest drug uh, traffickers in the world. And the CIA is the biggest drug trafficker in the word. world. And Absolutely. we even get back to the opioid crisis, which is all started by the CIA. That's why they took over in Afghanistan to take over the poppy fields, to bring in the opiates, to mm-hmm. start an opiate crisis so that everyone would get hooked on things like OxyContin uh, and right. things like that in the U.S., which is all a plan of the CIA and uh, people like the Clintons and the Bushes. Absolutely. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. And it's like... <laughs> It's like widely assumed that the usage would jump if drugs were legalized, but and sold under a, a, a closely regulated and distributed system. But it's not clear where these new users would come from. And anyone who wants drugs now can easily find them, as you were saying. And assuming you would not become a new user, do you think there would be an increase in new users if we had it legalized? So we, we're in a system now. We have users. 
And if we made them legal, would we just have an influx of new users? I mean, what do you think? Uh, we haven't seen that uh, statistically. Uh, it seems like almost everywhere that it's been decriminalized or legalized, usage has gone down. There appears to be like a psychological component to it. It's not where cool a lot anymore. Of people, <laughs> yeah, it's not cool. It's like, oh, I'm cool. I'm doing something illegal, right? Right, right. Uh, but once it's not, it kind of loses its cachet a little bit. And then only people who really, really enjoy doing those things do it. And, I, and again, I should point out like cannabis, I think almost everyone in some form should do it, whether yes. it's CBD oil, um, uh, you know, it cures cancer. It's like a miracle thing. We actually have cannabinoid uh, receptors in our brain, which That's right. I'm no expert on brain stuff or anything like that. But I would assume if we've got those receptors, it's kind of like we were created to use cannabis. Like like if we've got those receptors, it's like we've either been using it for so long or, or God or whatever created us. I know some people believe in Darwinism or whatever, like we came from rats or whatever. But somehow we've got these receptors <laughs> right. in our brain. Uh, so that, that we don't have alcohol receptors in our brain, I don't think. So like, so it's almost like a natural thing that we should be doing this. And for anyone, like here's the thing that I always laugh at like the soccer moms and and the real like hardcore sort of they usually tend to be kind of religious type people who are super against cannabis they are the people who need to at least once do cannabis they need to relax yeah, they, they need, need to, to take one chill puff, out relax yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes and they're the ones drinking and they're the yeah, ones totally. on pills yeah. and they're the ones on brain meds yeah. you're right you know and it's, here's the thing like all those people who are like in the church cool when they take in their prescription because it's legal and therefore if it's legal it's moral and that's not the case they are a product of indoctrination exactly exactly so like again we can look back and say just because something's legal doesn't necessarily mean it's moral and just because something moral isn't necessarily legal so i mean this is the conundrum we're in and society has been brainwashed jeff i mean honestly and we both know this and raylene knows this i mean we're all sitting here preaching to the choir but we're hoping that we're giving you information as listeners so you can arm yourself. So when you get this drug hawk out there, you're talking to some Republican and he's like, oh, on drugs. <laughs> this is what it's doing. This is why it's bad. We have we own ourselves. We make decisions about ourselves and whatever we put in our body. That's up to us to decide what we put in our body. And it could be good. It could be bad. It doesn't matter. But it's still our choice. I want to tell you guys about Free Talk Live. Make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro-liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on how many nights a week, Miss Ray? Seven. Seven and 190 plus radio stations. Coast to coast. <laughs> and it's pro-liberty every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. That's, again, that's freetalklive.com. We're talking to Jeff Berwick. Thank you, sir. We're not done with you yet. And stick around. We got more questions for you. Rock and roll. Inflammatory. Uncalled for. Outrageously offensive. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Rockets Two Minute Hate Speech. Hate speech. Johnny Rockets. This is Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech. Sometimes longer. Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech ignored by non-voting anarchists. Liz Spooner once wrote, In truth, in the case of individuals, their actual voting is not to be taken as proof of consent, even for the time being. It is to be considered that without his consent having even been asked for, a man finds himself environed by a government that he cannot resist. A 
government that forces him to pay money, render service, and forego the exercise of many of his natural rights under the peril of weighty punishments. He sees, too, that other men practice this tyranny over him by the use of the ballot. He sees further that if he will use the ballot himself, he has some chance of relieving himself from some of the tyranny of others by subjecting them to his own. In short, he finds himself without his consent, so situated that if he uses the ballot, he may become a master. If he does not, he must be become the slave. Clearly, the voter, by pulling down a handle in a voting booth, has in fact used violence. He or she has not used violence personally. Voting is not the same as pulling the trigger of a gun pointed at him or herself. The voter has not used force any more than the lawmaker, president, or judge does when they pass or sign a law. To defend yourself using violence is not a violation of the NAP. If you vote, you are not a pacifist. You are willing to use violence of the state to your own self-interest defensively. Yet all these people who have either supported or participated in a system of governance, which ultimately results in people being bullied or forced into obedience. But what choice do we have? The NAP gives us every right to vote defensively as a mean of self-defense against other voters. As a libertarian, if we vote negatively on initiatives, we are committing violence as we are protecting what little we have of the privileges we are given by the cult of the omnipotent state. We are fortifying our defensive position the best we can. Yes, again, voting is violence, but it is not aggression. It is the only way to defend ourselves in the system we are in. We are constantly being attacked by ill-informed voters when the pencil hits a goddamn paper or the pull. Take this example. If you're a slave on a plantation and the master allows you to choose from field hand A or field hand B and one treats you a lot better. There's nothing wrong with choosing one over the other. It doesn't mean that you're not a slave and you don't oppose slavery. It means how can you make your situation better at the moment? And that is a defensive measure. To merely state that choosing one over the other is aggression is nonsense. If you believe in not voting, hey, that's great. Then that is your God-given choice. If you want to take one on the chin because of your pacifism, by all means, take it. Nobody is forcing you to defend yourself, and good on you for taking such a strong stance. But don't tell me I can't take necessary efforts to protect myself when aggression is constantly being used by the deluge of positive liberties and government programs. There will never be a perfect system, a perfect libertarian utopia. But we can hope by having liberty candidates that can sway the minds and hearts of the individuals to vote negatively. I support your right not to vote as much as the individuals who do. So that being said, what does it cost to vote? You'll have to look at the Bill of Rights to find out. talk about drugs but i'm talking about them now because i'm an alcoholic yeah no, I, I try to talk to you that. about drugs sometimes you're like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever god damn it really well, okay whatever i figured you're gonna sit there smoke a bowl and talk about like crystal shard 
I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. But like, I'm just saying. Good energy, man. It is. It's like, it's so <laughs> cool, bro. But anyways, though, we're talking to my brother from another mother, Mr. Jeff Berwick. Jeff, thank you so much for being here, brother. Right here. All right. So what we do here on the second segment, it's tradition all the way from Johnny Rocket Launchpad. It's called Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sirs, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Jeff, are you ready to play? Rocket Fire. All right, let's do this. All right, here we go. Question one. The average American thinks crime, violence, and drug use go hand in hand. Are they wrong? Oh God! Thirty seconds. <laughs> the crime—the crime itself—is when you're kidnapping people who have not hurt anyone else. Uh, it's all been actually brainwashing and, and propaganda since you were born. This has all been put into the the television programming. It's—it's—it's it's, it's literally programming. It's literally brainwashing. It's hypnosis. Uh, when you watch CNN, you see all those things. It's—it's it's actually hypnotizing you. They do that on purpose. Then you go to twelve years of government indoctrination camps uh, where they tell you how great the government is, and you do your pledge of allegiance, which <laughs> used to be like the the the, the Hitler. Nazi sort of salute. Yeah, uh, they changed yeah. that after the 1940s. Uh, so you've been brainwashed to believe all these things. It's actually not true. And really, the only thing that you should believe or care about is that uh, no one hurts anyone else. So that's really the only, there's only one rule. And Jesus had a way of putting it. He called it the golden rule. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. I call it the non-aggression principle. Basically, the only way to tell if anything bad or, is bad or good in this world is if someone is hurting someone else. If they aren't, uh, then th- it is not a crime and you should not be wanting to see them caged or are killed if they're not hurting anyone else. You could totally dislike what they do, uh, but you shouldn't be supporting their, their being hurt uh, when they don't hurt anyone else. Bam! Great answer. Boom. Question two. Has the legalization and decriminalization of drugs been a dismal failure in other nations, or is that a myth? Uh, it has actually been a huge uh, uh, boon uh, in in places like Portugal, where they decriminalized all plants in 2001. Uh, d- uh, drug overdoses went down massively. Uh, drug use went down quite a bit. Uh, obviously, crime went down. We've seen that even in places like in in Denver, in Colorado, uh, where they uh, decriminalized uh, cannabis a couple years ago. Uh, it's it's been a boom for the economy. Massive amount of new jobs. Crimes down. Uh, I don't know about if drug use is down or up, but it doesn't really matter. Cannabis is actually quite a helpful substance to a lot of people anyway. It cures cancer. Uh, you've been told a lot of lies about it. So yeah, it's a, it, there's every instance of decriminalization of plants has, has been good. Uh, you just have to look at the U.S. where alcohol used to be prohibited in the 1930s. It was alcohol prohibition. Right. And uh, what there was tons of crime, tons of gangs, uh, tons of death, uh, people dying all over the place with bad alcohol. Uh, and then once it became uh, legalized or decriminalized again, all of a sudden everything was fine. So every time you try to stop something with violence, it creates more problems. And every time you allow things to occur, as long as it's not hurting anyone, uh, you have a much better world. Bam. Great answer. Question three. Does the legalization of drugs lead to the increased use and increased addiction levels? Soccer mom Cindy wants to know. <laughs> uh, we've looked at Portugal and it looks like drug use actually goes down. Uh, it looks like overdoses go down when you decriminalize. Uh, the one thing I would say is I think a lot of people use a lot of the more heavier drugs and I would say heavier drugs are things like crack, heroin, to some extent cocaine, but you know, cocaine can be light if you if you don't get too carried away, but a lot of people mm-hmm. do get carried away and then it becomes a heavy drug. Uh, but a lot of the, the reasons that those people are doing that is because they live in a society which has become like a prison. Uh, there's 
there's cops on every corner. They're not allowed to do anything. Right. Uh, they're, they're, they don't have many job opportunities because they've already been to jail because they had a plant in their pocket. Uh, then they get out and there's not many jobs because the central bank's printing too much money, destroying the economy. The regulations <laughs> are making it too hard for the businesses to survive. Uh, minimum yeah. wage laws are making it so there's no jobs. And then they just start smoking crack. So if you get rid of the government, uh, I don't think anyone would do crack if you got rid of the government. Dude. <laughs> Question four. Why would drug legalization have positive effects in low-income areas? Oh, for sure. Because basically when you go to, like, say, let's say ghettos uh, where there's, a, you know, not, not many people have much money. Most people are on welfare. Welfare is actually uh, destroys the community. That's done on purpose uh, mm-hmm. because it makes it so people don't don't need to actually improve themselves. And after generations and generations, it just destroys the entire society. Mm-hmm. But then what you see is a lot of the young kids, they're like, hey, I want to get out of here. Well, what's their only real opportunity in that area? And that's to sell drugs. Uh, then they end up getting caught at some point by the police who are actually the true criminals. They get thrown into a cage for a while. They, get, they just go there and lift weights and hang out with other bad guys for a while. Uh, then they eventually get out, can't get a job and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if it was all uh, decriminalized or legalized, uh, you wouldn't see most of these problems. You, you, if you wanted to, you could go work at, uh, you know, Seven Eleven uh, cocaine department uh, and, and work in that department, <laughs> get a nice job. There's no jail involved. There's no cops. There's no sounds death, like a good no job discretion. to me. Yeah, yeah, it sounds all right, right? It sounds all right, brother. All right, question five: If tobacco were prohibited, because I am a big tobacco user, would a smuggling industry arise? And would tobacco usage go up or down? And what would that prohibition look like? Yeah, like you pointed out, you're a big smoker. I used to be a big smoker. I read a great book, by the way. I don't know if you've read it. It's called The Easy Way to Quit Smoking. Uh, it's it's actually awesome. By the time I quit the book, I finished the book, I quit smoking. Uh, but uh, as you know, as, as a, a hardcore smoker, when you're a hardcore smoker, it doesn't matter who tells you to stop. You could be told that you're going to die in five years. Uh, you, could, you could just look in the mirror and look at your yellow teeth and your yellow fingers, and you're like, I'm still doing it. It doesn't matter if the government <laughs> I says. It. I love it. It doesn't matter if the government says says that you can or can't. So, of course, just like drugs, just like alcohol prohibition, if they were to outlaw cigarettes, there would become a, a underground market and there would be a lot of people trying to help you get those cigarettes, which is a very valiant effort because they'd be taking a lot of risks to do that. Uh, and it would just cause a lot of problems and a lot of chaos and, and it, you'd, you'd have no quality of the cigarettes. You wouldn't know what you're buying anymore. You'd exactly. open up the pack. Yeah. You'd be like, what the heck's this? It's like from some Indian reservation in Canada. I don't know what this is. And, <laughs> right. and you know, some of it wouldn't even be tobacco. You'd get ripped off. And then there'd be gunfights as, as people get ripped off. And you know, yeah. it just causes complete chaos. I'm with you, brother. And tobacco, I mean, I used to watch your show and you used to chain smoke during your show. <laughs> And I don't smoke in my studio, but like it sucks not having a cigarette, dude. I love smoking, and I think it's a good thing. Like I am the only <laughs> in this world now who supports smoking, not because I think it's good for you, just because it looks cool. All right, let's just be honest. <laughs> All right, moving along. Question Question six. What explains racial disparities in drug policing? Uh, as I pointed out, uh, the the very first uh, cannabis criminalization uh, stuff was actually a target against black people. It was a very racist policy uh-huh. uh, because back then in the, I think it was like the 30s and 40s, uh, not a lot of white people smoked cannabis. It was mostly black people. So they realized that. So it was actually a very, very racist sort of policy. And it, it just tends to be, uh, I don't know why that is. I actually think white people should smoke more cannabis, in my opinion. Uh, I agree. But uh, I think black people are onto something uh, with that. <laughs> 
Hey, it was the jazz musicians, dude. It was the jazz musicians. That's where it started. In. No, but I think that's what it was. Totally. I'd just let you know, I used to drink a ton too. And when I started smoking a little bit of cannabis, I'd like have one puff in the morning with meditation. I'd do one puff at night to go to sleep. And uh, it really made it so I, I drank a lot less because it's like if I was out in a hotel and I, I um, drank a lot at a party or something, I'd come home, have one little puff, and all of a sudden I'd feel like going to sleep. Whereas with the alcohol, you know how that is. If you're yeah. pretty drunk, you, you can't really sleep and you're kind of, you're like, oh, I might as well just go out and drink some more, you know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like crap a little bit. And I know I'm going to feel like crap in the morning so yeah dude yeah totally it's funny is it's like you know when you're drunk your head spins one way and when you're high your head spins the other way mm. and then when you put them together it's like not good because i remember the first like the first time i ever smoked pot when i was like 16 i remember like i got sick and i was like spewing i looked like a sprinkler coming out of both ends <laughs> because it was it was bad visual never mind moving along uh do you think question seven do you think the real reason for the drug war was to, you know, we said to criminalize black people and hippies? I don't think the government liked hippies. I think that was like the number one reason. Honestly, Jeff, I'm just being honest. What do you think? Yeah, a big part of it, like we were saying before, is uh, they don't want people on things like that because you get more introspective. You don't want to work as hard, too, I have to say. That's true. Uh, and so they kind of they kind of like things like alcohol. It kind of like uh, gets you aggressive and, and all that kind of stuff, and it doesn't get you thinking too much. So, yeah, there's definitely a aspect to it where they don't want people to do things like cannabis because they'll be more relaxed. Uh, they won't go out and, and do as many things, uh, which they want uh, people to do. They want the economy just to be constantly going. They want drunk drivers because that is a revenue generator for the state. They want drunk drivers. That's how they make their money. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, you know, the state wants a lot of the criminality. They create a lot of the criminality, and they want it because Without it, uh, a lot of people would think they don't need the state. And in actual fact, you really don't need the state. That's true. Uh, but but uh, a lot of people still think they do because they keep things like that going. All right, man. I'm going to switch it up here a little bit. Question eight. What are your views on the current state of cryptocurrency markets? And what does the future look like for Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, all those cryptocurrencies? What do you think is going to be the market? Because right now it's kind of booming. Right now, we're in a kind of a little bit of a boom where it busted a couple months ago. And in, in what was it, 2017, it was massive, $20,000 for Bitcoin. We're seeing a kind of a, an increase right now. What's your, what's your thoughts on this, sir? I'm incredibly bullish on it. I think we're just in the beginning stages again. Uh, I called the uh, top at $20,000 in December 2017. And we actually said at the Dollar Vigilante that uh, the bottom was probably going to be around 3500 uh, in Bitcoin. And that's almost exactly where the bottom was. And then we said to buy. And now we're up around 8000 again. Uh, we're really at the beginning. Uh, for people out there who have not looked into crypto, it is literally and truly a paradigm shift in money and banking. And it's unstoppable. Governments can't stop it. Central banks can't stop it. They all want to try to stop it, but they can't. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it, we, in this digital age we live in uh, today, where everyone's got a smartphone everywhere in the world, uh, you can transfer uh, cryptocurrency so easily. It costs almost nothing. It's almost uh, in, uh, instantaneous. Uh, no government can stop it. There's no taxes on it if you don't want it to be, uh, because they don't even know what's going on, uh, and that sort of a thing. So it's it's uh, we're still in the very early stages. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful. It yep. is. It's beautiful. All right. Question nine. Do you think the privatization of land near the border, American border, right, could be the answer to the immigration issue? And what are your thoughts on immigration sponsorship? 
Yeah, I, d- I think all land uh, should be privatized, all of it. The government should own no land whatsoever. And if you did that, there actually wouldn't be these major immigration issues because uh, with that, uh, there should be no government. And a lot of the reasons that people want to migrate to other areas is because you have huge welfare states, uh, huge uh, uh, giving away things for free, essentially Absolutely. socialism, yeah. which the U.S. is very heavily into now. So you have people, if they're down on their luck in, in some country like Honduras and they've got nothing, they're like, let's go to the U.S. If we can get in there, we're going to get like free schools, free medical care, free all this, free food, food stamps, all that kind of stuff. So uh, by privatizing everything, you actually get rid of this so-called migration or immigration issue. But I actually just call immigration or migration just traveling. It's just people traveling. It's just people exactly. going where they want to go. And it shouldn't be a problem. But again, when you have governments uh, and states, uh, these become huge issues. They create all the problems that they say they're there to solve. Exactly. All right. Man, and this is a question from last show, but I thought it was a good question, and I want your opinion on it. Question 10, the final question. Do you think public policy should reflect the opinions of the public? It's kind of a trick question, <laughs> Jeff. So bear with me. I'm just giving you a full warning. So it's kind of a question. My bad. But it's kind of important. No, no, hear me out. It's important. That I think we need to answer the question. I mean, like, go ahead. I'll give you my two cents after you're done, but whatever. All right. Well, first of all, I don't think there should be public policy. There should be government. Okay. There you go. All right. I'm, a, I'm with you on that. Even if you do, a democracy itself, which is, you know, essentially what you're talking about with public policy. Exactly. So people are, yep. are voting for certain things uh, is a disaster no matter what you do. It's essentially mob rule. So if 51% of people in an area say, we want to kill all the black people here, uh, in a democracy or in a government system, that's totally fine. Uh, and it's it's a crazy, horrible system. And you can never have uh, the public itself, uh, every single person in society, uh, be helped by government and by, by public policy, by the government doing things, because exactly. you've just got a bunch of individuals. So all you're having just special interests who usually have more money than other people <laughs> yes. go in with lobbyists. And, and of course, uh, I think a part of the point of your question is that public policy d- usually does not uh, reflect at all what most people want. It's usually what a, a small percentage of people want, and it gets forced on them due to the governmental system. Ah, Jeff, you answered that question perfectly, <laughs> sir. All right. So you're right. I agree 100%. Yes, it's <laughs> democracy is <laughs> and the majority rules the minority, and we should just rule ourselves. It's a trick question. I think I fooled our last guest on that one. Uh, he's like, yeah, I think we should. And he's a good guy, but I think I got him on that. And I, I was giving you a little bit of a heads up on that. That's right, good fire! Give it up for Jeff Roger that, Johnny. Seat belts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Mr. Berwick, give us your dot-coms. Yeah, if you're interested in the financial stuff, the cryptocurrencies, check out dollarvigilante.com. If you're interested in the freedom-related stuff, check out my podcast called Anarchast. And every year we have a the world's largest uh, voluntarist freedom conference in the world in Acapulco, Mexico, called Anarcapoco. It's going to be happening next year, February 2020. We're just about to announce the exact dates, but it'll be mid-February of next year. And this year we had 2,000 people. We've doubled in size every year, and we're expecting probably more than 3,000 people next year. So if you're into freedom at all, or if you want to just learn about it uh come check it out all right man jeff thank you so much for being here on the show Raylene, anything else you want to say 
Yeah, I mean, this is great. Thanks for covering so much. I loved it. I loved it, man. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much. We'll see you around. We might come to <laughs> Anarcho Poco one time. Awesome. Me and Raylene and Kim and the whole crew. I'd like to. Yeah, we'll <laughs> go and I'll see Raylene high. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, that's how it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to be more so than me. Jeff, thank you so much, sir. All right, thank we you. appreciate the interview. All right, thanks. Peace. Rock and roll. Hey, this is Blast Off of Johnny Rock, and I'm here with my ranch trip, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Hi. I'm excited to be here, as usual. Jeff had to leave a little early for the show, so we apologize for the listeners who have written a bunch of questions for him, but he had to jet. No pun intended. He had to go. He had to boogie. But Raylene, Jeff was awesome. Oh, yeah. What do you have to say about him? I mean, like, good. Jeff did a great job giving the Cliffs notes of all the problems. I think that it was amazing. He had a lot of insight. He did. He was well-spoken. Amazing. Like, here's the thing. It was about, to me, it's like it, it did attract soccer mom Cindy. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if I was like a normal person, not like we're enlightened or something. But like, a normie. Right. The average person just doesn't understand what's going on. And it's like up to us. The layers, the layers of oh corruption, the layers of statism and control. When you think about everyone's talking about police violence right now, which they should be talking about, um, the police violence is a direct result. I mean, I think it's always existed, but I think that it's more common, more prevalent, and more accepted widely because of the drug war. It is. When they pull you over and want to do searches on your car, what are they looking for? What are they looking for? Well, I mean, exactly. Drugs. It's just an excuse to pull you mm-hmm. over and to create mm-hmm. generate revenue for the state. Absolutely. And so, like, with the current decriminalization of mushrooms, like we have in Denver right now, right? Mm-hmm. What will the psilocybin, you know, decriminalization initiative do? What do you think it will do and what do you think it will not do? Because here's the thing. I think it will decriminalize it, but it will not actually, I don't know if there's going to be people actually producing it. Well, that's not true. Um, Actually, okay, so right now, just so everyone knows, spores to grow your own mushrooms, and we're talking about legal mushrooms, food, edible mushrooms that people eat, uh, including uh, psilocybin mushrooms. They're still legal to buy online in most states, including Colorado. So what this would be is we'd have to quantify personal use with growth as well. But right now it's just been decriminalized. So what they did is made it lowest priority for the police department to arrest people and bring charges about, if that makes any sense. So decriminalization only just made it a lower priority. And people that were being put in jail over mushrooms or growing their own mushrooms will likely be able to be sued eventually. But Mm -hmm. do you think, here's the thing, was it a low priority to begin with? I mean, let's be honest. Yes. Was it being enforced? It was being enforced. Uh, There were, I think, 11 in a two-year period between 2016 and 2018. 11 people were charged with having or growing them. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that, I mean, really, that's not a lot. But this is the first step, I I believe, that the reason why this is even happening is so that they can continue to do studying about it for, for healing people with trauma, PTSD, depression, anxiety. But what I'm seeing here is is that there is a distrust of the state. What I'm seeing here is, no, it's good. I mean, I think this is in a positive light. What I'm seeing here is that people are getting it. They're getting the fact that they own themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Except for this commie going on with like AOC and socialist, you know, healthcare and all that. Other than Mm -hmm. that, besides economics, I would have to say that we are moving into the direction of liberty. 
and with a lot of things, like with drugs, with free speech, mm. cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency. I mean, it's a big thing. Yeah. That is a big to the state. Yeah, but I mean, the state's still trying to get their hands in it. I of mean, course that, they are. Yeah. This is okay. why they're trying to like net neutrality so they can mm -hmm. spy and control the internet. But this is what I'm getting at. You have Bitcoin. You have the legalization or decriminalization of drugs. This is big steps in our freedoms and how we're going to live our lives in the future. Right. Now, if we can get this whole socialist out of the equation, I think we're on to something. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was very pessimistic like four or five episodes ago. Like, I'm like, might as well to the ground. Maybe there's mm -hmm. hope. I don't know. But all I think we need to do is get the goddamn state out of public education and that is when we'll win. Well, let's just tell you, let's talk about the state being involved in this decriminalization initiative that just barely passed, which by the way, it congratulations did. Denver. I'm very proud of you guys. Um, any FU, any form of nullification, I'm, I'm really proud of you guys. So by the end of 2019, the mayor actually has to appoint 11 members to a panel and it'll be a review panel to analyze and report on the effects of decriminalization. So the state is still creating its own um, sure. codes I, and, and nastiness in here. Like we, like we need a panel. I mean, as, as we know, in Washington state, when they legalized the sale of cannabis, because there were already people allowed to grow under medical licensing, they've actually eliminated all that and made it much harder. Uh, no perks, high taxes, 37% tax on cannabis here in Washington. It's it's horrible. But when they did that, they put a huge amount of government involved in anti-drug <laughs> education. And so it's basically the drug and alcohol board. No, 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 it, no, no. You're mm -hmm. right. Yeah, and it's stupid because you're getting the state involved. Yeah, a couple of posters that say don't use weed. Yeah. I mean, fuck off. Uh, fuck off with all your fuck money. You. You, fuck you. You're still taking all that money. 37% tax. It's a slush fund. It's not going to anything good. It's not going to anything right. It's only propaganda at best that's going to happen, and the rest is just padding people's paychecks. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. And here's the thing. I'm not an advocate, nor have I ever been an advocate. I mean, we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. I've never been an advocate for doing drugs. You're not an ambassador for uh, cannabis or anything no. else. No, you're not. No, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not. But here's the thing. People have the right to choose. And that is what I'm fighting for, is the personal right of people to put whatever they want in their body. Absolutely. If they want to drink fucking Windex, I'm like, you're an idiot, but the, you should have been gone The spirit of voluntarism dictates that the real reason why we advocate for liberty is for the liberty. And we just happen to be very lucky that the facts and statistics back us up. We're not just lucky, we're, we're right. That's why. We are right. We're logically and morally Correct. right. Correct. And, and that's the thing. Nobody should be able to tell you including to state what to put in your butt. And if you want to do something and you're not hurting anyone, right? If it's all voluntary, then it should be on you. And that is all we're advocating for, people. We're not advocating for the use of drugs. I am a proponent against drugs in general. Actually, I lied and I said I'm all for smoking because it looks cool. I, I, I kind of do believe that. But besides smoking, I mean, drugs isn't really a good thing. You know, if you want to live your life being drug-free, I mean, I, I fucking applaud uh, you. Respect. That's awesome. Yeah. Much respect. And I think it's good. I mean, if there's people out there who do do drugs, though, and they're not hurting anyone, by all means, leave them the fuck alone. While I agree with saying that uh, good for you for sticking to your principles and not wanting to uh, inundate your body with poisonous things, I say great. But my grandmother had beat cancer three times, and at the very, very end of it, she was wasting 
was not eating, was not able to take care of herself, completely in pain. And because I was not at that time an ambassador for cannabis or anything like that, I was uneducated and indoctrinated by this disgusting government people that were supposed to be educating me through government schools. And unfortunately, my parents were also a product of that indoctrination. I didn't even consider getting my grandma weed to help her. And it is one of my deepest regrets that I did not know more about this miracle plant, this medicine, and that I was not able to help her with um, the, her last years because I didn't know any better. So I just want to throw this out there that I, I highly recommend with our aging grandparents and parents and the boomers that are, that are coming up and getting a little older, I really, really, really want to talk to you guys about learning more about cannabis, even if it's not your thing, because you are going to want to help those people that are getting sick. You're going to want to help those people with their health issues. And No, no. And that's, and that's good. And I'm, I'm with you. And if that's what you want to do, that's your choice. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, by the way, if you like the show, make sure to go to supportblastoff.com and subscribe. And give us a dollar an episode to hear the after party and only $2 a show for the all-nighter too. Anyways, though, it's Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas with Raylene Lightheart. Thanks, Ray. Hey, thank you, Johnny. Fun times. <laughs> good show. Good show. I love Jeff. I had a good time talking to him. He couldn't stay for the after party, but we might have a special guest. So, yeah, we might have a special guest for our after party. So, anyways, I'm Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas, and we'll see you next week. Rock and roll.